Hello, everyone. Hi there. My name is Joy, and I'm coming to you today as your local emo Kenyan history buff and also your favorite hyperactive queen. Here to encourage you to start creating, start dreaming, and start loving yourself for yourself. Because this white supremacist ass world is not going to do it for you. And this is Gloria, your friendly neighbor at Virgo, reminding you not to be too hard on yourself and not to let your perfectionism get in the way of your own glow. Welcome back to an episode of Join Glow after our little hiatus. Um, today, we're going to be talking about corporate scraps, the black bourgeoisie, where are you, and corporate America, where are the black people? We're also going to be talking about Toyin, who got killed, um, and her importance to the movement, and basically what is black excellence and how can we create black excellence? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, so let's just freaking get right into it. Get into it. Um, so you had told me about Toyin. I did not know at all um, what happened. So if you want to give a little spiel about like what happened yeah. and yeah, we'll get into it. She was a protester. She was only 19 years old. At the time, she was homeless. I think her family were family of immigrants. She basically was sexually assaulted by this man who killed her and also killed another woman, like 75 years old. And this man sexually assaulted her for days before he killed her. And one of the words she told, one of the words that she said were, the same niggas I'm risking my life for are the same niggas who are convinced they are stealing away my innocence or jewel, not knowing that I am standing on a rock. Therefore, I can never be broken or robbed. Mm. So it's like she knew. So it's it's like, like she knew. Yeah. Yeah. And she said this before. She said this before. I found this on an Instagram page. And I was like, this is crazy. Yeah, basically, the reason why we're bringing up Toyin was because, like, does the Black Lives Matter movement need a Black Women Lives Matter movement? Not does, but it does need it. It needs it. I absolutely agree. <laughs> yes. And there should also be one for queer black lives. I mean, like, the utter, like, disregard for black women's lives at this point is, like, really hitting home. How old was she? She was 19. She was 19. 19 like publicly fighting for George Floyd she appeared on the news um, I feel like that really hits home for me I'm never hearing about like like black immigrants getting killed on the streets and like it's always been something that like obviously as a person of color in this country like you're aware of um, but it's never like, like, you know, on the news, it's never like a black immigrant like was like killed, brutally murdered on the street, even though those things are happening as much as frequently. People just don't know that black people come in so many different 
shades and it's like okay george floyd we can we can get that this is a black man who died violently in a brutal way publicly so we we can we can all rally behind him yeah yeah and i think that like like i've been definitely frustrated over the like just yeah the lack of like attention that's paid to non-cis heterosexual black males like that have been brutally murdered because i think that i just don't it's it's definitely something that's like palatable i think for like white allies to get behind as well like and so that makes me really think of just like the social hierarchy mm. in general but i think it's super pervasive in the ways that like black women that are murdered every single day are just like unheard of and like unspoken of all over the fucking world <laughs> like right right yeah so and, and like a black woman started blm so it's like two black women started BLM. like i think three black women started blm and like that just doesn't make any sense to me and yeah or, or even the way brianna taylor has become a meme on people's like twitters or instagram captions by the way, arrest the cops that killed Brianna Taylor. Like, it's just, uh... Right. Right. And this reminds me of, like, the attention, the sort of attention that Sandra Bland got, which was, like, very much so tied to, like, other murders of black men specifically at the time, and, like, mm-hmm. her, you know, it, it seems like there's, like, a very specific way that the public, like, responds to things whenever, like, a cis heterosexual black man is killed and then like a black woman is like brutally like abused or something by the state like attention is just drawn very differently and i think that yeah i don't like the fact that like you can just it seems like the public is like just choosing a person and kind of using them as like a caricature for for change and like i don't know like there's so much happening um which is why i'm so glad you brought up this story because i hadn't even heard of it you were trying to stay away from social media. Yeah, for, man, for, I am so under a rock right now. I like, I'm trying to be. I feel like I think that I'm under a rock, but I'm really just on YouTube, and I think that that's my version of being under a rock. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm definitely not on social media. So speaking of caricatures, <laughs> let's talk about corporate scraps. <sighs> scraps is a good word. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I don't even... I didn't think that in my lifetime, like, corporations would have this large of a presence in, like, my understanding of the world and just myself as, like, a subject. Like, like a, you know what I mean? Like, they're really, like, out here, like, telling me who I am, and it's, like, 2020, like... They know so much about you, and, like, the fact that being anti-racist racist is a PR scheme... Blows... Like, the entire PR, like, business and, like, sector has just, like, boomed because, and I didn't even, like, I just didn't know. Like, I didn't know. But we know now. It's like they're telling us. This is what's happening. (laughs) As if we did not know. But, yeah. So, (laughs) speaking of characters, have you worked, like, in a corporate sector at all? Like, I've done work in government. And let me tell you, like, government is the same because uh. there's these people working, like, $30,000 jobs. But you, uh-huh. you, 
But you would think they're working at Goldman Sachs because coffee from Starbucks every day. And I'm just like, how are you affording this on your salary? I know I can't afford it. So I- wow. Okay. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I like. I think that 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 definitely like that makes me think of just the ways that like you don't realize how like much people come into like corporate structures with, and like how much they're even like. I don't know, there's just, like, so much privilege, I think, that comes with, like, being of a certain class because you sort of understand the schemes and, like, all the, like, bullshit that, like, you have to, like, face. Like, all that whiteness, you know? People just having so much more money than you and you just being like, wait, what? (laughs) Or just Um, understanding, like, how to, like, you know, navigate the space. Right. I was watching that grapevine video you sent me it's like the grapevine under quarantine. And they were yeah. saying how like under whiteness, backstabbing is part of the culture. Be- passive aggressive is part of the culture. Yeah. And that takes so much, men- like so much of a mental toll on you if you have to assimilate to that culture. Oh yeah. It's so tiring to code switch. That shit is fucking tiring. Especially in these spaces when these like corporate like structures are super like wishy-washy. You as a black woman, you're like perceived in a specific way, you know, and like that will reflect, shouldn't reflect, but like will reflect on your productivity and like the way that you are like able to like move through the structure. And it's like not even as a queer person, it's not like everything, you know, you should be you should be able to bring your full self to a position. And they were talking about how like they had some of them had just decided to stop code switching at work. And I think that that's so brave. I don't even know what that would look like for me. I don't know. I've (laughs) noticed that whenever I'm around white people, they never say like your voice is too quiet. You should speak up. I think they expect you to really tiptoe around them. Mm. And that's okay. And one of them was like, like I came in like looking like an Amazon to the interview. Some of us really do look like Amazons. Like no, I kind of exactly. and like I cannot change the way I look that much. And why should you feel like you have to for a position? That's not that's not it. Right. Like you should not have to make yourself smaller. You shouldn't have to like walk in already apologizing for something when you haven't even gotten the position. Like oh that's my. actually ridiculous. Have you ever interviewed at a predominantly white space? And how was that? Yeah, um, multiple times. <laughs> <laughs> I think I just try to like, like alternate what I'm saying to fit the like fucking corporate culture, which is so fucking like, it makes me like, it's disgusting. I don't like that I have to do that, but you know, I like do, I'll do my research because you know, they like that shit. I think it's just like, it's a lot of pressure, like having to feel like you're better than everyone times a billion. Like right. it's a lot of pressure. And I, I think I was in like, I was in like, it wasn't even an interview. It was kind of just a group setting type thing. And I had dressed up and like, I was ready to go, you know, like had my resume out with me, like was ready to like spit. 
And then they called me, they had called me out literally. Like, I probably shouldn't be saying this, but like, they called me out for like dressing up. They were like, it, this is not an, this is not a formal interview, Joy. And I was like, <laughs> LOL. That's funny because niggas was in their t shirts and shit. I was like, um, all right, but please call me back for the position. Like, <laughs> I, I mean, yeah. I would have done the same thing. I don't think I would have gone to a group interview in a t shirt. Like, like ever you know that, just, that doesn't make any sense to me and i think the recruiting process is like getting a lit more complicated and like complex it's very intimidating honestly very ghetto <laughs> that shit is ghetto hella ghetto lord like all the karens there's like a billion of them interviewing you um and all they can do is comment on your hair and it's like that's what i came here for <laughs> um absolutely ridiculous but yeah that video was like super 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 like inspiring i think Mm -hmm. um this one lady was talking about how she had gotten like four complaint in her position because people would come at her and she would come at them with the same energy as what she was saying and she would like get met like complaints and all this like bullshit and i think that that's really that's like my biggest fear you know and she was so like unapologetic about it and i was just like damn I wish I could be there, but I don't. Like, that's what I'm saying. But it's like she was just reacting in a normal human way. Like, do you know those those white people that just have, like, being sassy or being, like, obnoxious as a personality trait? And, like, oh, don't worry about Todd. That's just how he is. <laughs> like, how freeing would it be to just be that person? Freeing. Literally feel like I have to just, like, be on top of everything. Like, Mm -hmm. I think that that's so... Like, it was very endearing how unapologetic she was about it, though. And then even just, like, the other Black women that talked about just, like, starting her own practice because she was like, I know that these people are not going to fuck with me, which I think is super proactive as well. I don't know how she did it. How? How did they do it? They all seemed super established, which was one thing that I, like, had to say in the video. If you guys have time to, like, watch this video, maybe we'll, like posted on like one of our social media pages or something but mm-hmm. they all seemed super established and they were all beautiful black people just like chatting but anyways we want to talk about how these places are basically created for white excellence and what that means if you're a black person entering these spaces do you feel like you've ever been forced to like um make yourself smaller in a professional situation or like yeah I don't know just like feel like you're taking on a little bit more than other people are like with regards to like maybe even like at your government job like how was that in terms of like labor division but also yeah other stuff yeah that job if I think about it I fit the pet stereotype when like a pet token whatever you want there's a really good article in medium but yeah like i didn't have any sort of real responsibilities besides doing research which was like could be done in a google search mm-hmm. summarizing <clears throat> articles it was mm-hmm. a great job and i got to see some really amazing work by like other attorneys one of my positions i like definitely noticed that i was like I don't know, I just had to do a lot more than, like, my male counterparts who were, like, had the same position as me or whatever. I think in terms of, like, yeah, just, like, feeling like I was doing a lot more than everyone else, which is always an issue. But you, like, had listed this, like, Toni Morrison quote, which I think is really, really special here. And I, like, 
yeah, we would like, why not share it? Okay. Um, if you can only be tall because someone is on their knees, then you have a serious problem. My feeling is that white people have a very, very serious problem and that they should start thinking about what they can do about it. Take me out of it. Which is, I think, so huge. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like my, like, since such a huge sensation, I think I feel. Because also in these corporate structures, another thing is like, these folks are like coming and asking their black employees to like help come up with solutions, which is essentially like another job. You know what I mean? At the same time as doing everything else. And it's, it's like, now you want to do this at this like very tender moment in time. Do you know what I mean? It's not like every single day as a black person isn't tender, but like because of everything that's going on and the events that are going on right now, like where we are in our social political climate, it's very tender. It's very, you know, tender. And I think it's hard to take on all that, like, unnecessary labor. Yeah, it's, like, kind of just, like, take us out of it. Like, if you're not going to give me a check, uh, like, a bonus for this, then take me out of it. Period. And it's also super, like, super simple. Like, just stop, just stop, like, handing over the resumes with, you know, black-sounding names over. Like, just look at, look at the resumes with black-sounding names. Right. Just look, or some, you could have the most normal name, in, like, possible, but, like, as soon as you get on that phone, mm-hmm. sounds a little ethnic to me. Mm-hmm. And boom, no, no interview, right. no nothing. Right, right, right. Like, it was nice to meet you. <laughs> yeah. Not cool. I think that there's so much more that these, that corporations can do and companies can do on their part to just like make everything easier. Just like and or just like have everything at least be more equitable. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. But we were also talking kind of about like in this context, how do we think about like black excellence which is like a phrase that's been pretty popularized and i think that's also been memeified low-key when i used to be on twitter i mean it was like a huge thing like this like young ass black couple bought like a house and has like kids or some shit like black excellence like so what does this mean in the context of like these structures if you're like a black person in these like you know if you find yourself working there in the same grapevine video, they talk about, like, once you get up into that tower, like, that high tower, don't just lock the door and, like, mm. and throw away the key, but, like, bring people in, which I think a lot of Black people have done so far. The thing is, though, like, as Black people, like, we need mentors. We need people to advocate for us even more. I can't even, I can't say anything else. Like, like when is there not an ascension to whiteness? Like, when can we just be who we are? Hmm, exactly. Which is, I think, something that, like, I grapple with a lot. Just, like, being Black in this country is, like, it's very layered. It's a layered experience. It's different for everybody. It looks like so many different things. And I think that, like, I try my best to, like, keep an alright positionality when it comes to like land and stuff like that like land acknowledgement because I think that that's like huge but it's hard when you're trying to like survive right. um, 
period. <laughs> so, you know, like, when are you not, when are you not participating in whiteness with, you know, with something like, I try not to think about, honestly, because it's like, it's a given. Like, it's kind of just, it came with the body, it came with the time. <laughs> whiteness is just like the basis of everything. Like, you're stepping on it, you're touching in it, you're in it, you're breathing it, regardless. And I think that the ways and like, which corporations are acting right now is really helpful in in order to like be able to differentiate you know this is a really white space and i know how they act and these are the ways in which i'm going to like change my expectations or like calibrate my expectations to like meet the space because they're acting in such an anti-black way and it's 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 like they're all you know taking out of it the same playbook. They have a call, it's like, hey, Jeff, what's on the playbook today? What's on the menu? But they <laughs> so, know, they know what they're doing. And it's like they know what they're gonna order. It's like the same, it's the same meal every single time. And they're like, I want more burgers. <laughs> it makes me think of Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, that movie, Stop. which I think may be a commentary on capitalism. Let's be fucking real. Speaking of capitalism, we kind of depend on corporations to give us little scraps. Microsoft suddenly is the biggest, one of the biggest donors to Black Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. What? I didn't even know that. That might be fake news, but I'm just thinking about all these things that were going around social media. It's like, Microsoft will match your donation if you <laughs> if you give it to yeah. like an employee there, so... yeah. If you Venmo me, an employee of X company, X company will match X price. And it's like, what even is that? I don't understand that process. Let's go through our employees instead of just like, just match, just match and just like, just put it out there, period. Why do you need the people to match it? The people are asking. Mm-hmm. That is such a like, dis- that's a completely imbalance of, a complete imbalance of power. I've never even thought about like antitrust law, which seriously, I, I'm into it because corporations are lying scumbags. They're out here. I think I remember being like 17 and that's the first time I heard heard the word corporate personhood or like the phrase. Mm-hmm. But now I feel like I've actually understood what it really means in terms of how these corporations can just continue to monopolize and galvanize power and money through having really fucking great lawyers that just will make shit easy for them. What made you want to talk about that? I just thought of it. Okay, so literally I was reading something recently. I don't know like how we can sort of control the narrative of what's going on in terms of like the history of, of capitalism, of corporations, of like essentially big groups of white men doing things. That's the basis of it, you know? Thinking about that entire history, like, and how, like, I don't know, how people are making inroads in terms of how to, like, keep corporations accountable, right? Oh, here we go. I was thinking about Mark Zuckerberg and how many times this man has had to, like, go in front of Senate or whatever, or Congress, and, like, testify. What do you think about that? Just, <laughs> I didn't get on Facebook until maybe the last year of high school. Like, I had no Facebook, no social media account. And I'm honestly proud of her, like, past me. Because there's no reason for me to be on that social media app. Because they're taking so much information from you. 
so and much. selling it to advertisers so they can make more profit. Yep, exactly. And, like, I had recently watched Social Network, so I, like, didn't even know, like, what the process or whatever was. I mean, it was kind of a whack movie, but that's besides the point. I, it's not even just, it's not even just Facebook, right? It's, like, fucking Google. It's fucking, Amazon. Like, Amazon, Lord Jesus, it's like Microsoft, all of these people are like, it's literally just a bunch of white guys. It's very scary, I think is a very good word to like use. So please learn, learn, learn it, get learned, learn, learn yourself up on what the fuck these people are doing, how they're like, just monopolizing power and continuing to like make sure that you know the global south stays in poverty like as well there it is i had to say it but also (laughs) speaking of the global south like how is bill gates the leading authority on the pandemic (laughs) and how are we like what is amazon doing like why are we going to corporations first they have nothing to do with and us. And it's like, it's like, oh, because our government's not helping. Like, this is who we have to go to, which is so sad. It shouldn't be like that. Bill Gates is like, seriously, I didn't even real. I didn't even know that. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if I like that. I don't know if I like that. Um, I don't know if I like that at all. That's kind of difficult. I don't know. But yeah, just like within all this, I think important to try to like think of controlling the narrative as like ourselves and what we're experiencing and thinking about like what we ground ourselves in in terms of like when we come home from workers like for example black radical feminism and how how this how as a philosophy as a way you know as, a, as like a knowledge as a way of knowing right how does it help us cope with the trauma of like Corporate abuse, essentially, you know, corporate violence. Honestly, I think artists are always grappling about this, this, like, how to, how to cope, how to cope with that specific trauma. God, for me, I think about all the Black female academics that are really doing the work that mm. no one is seeing. Not even Black, like, Indigenous, Asian, like, so many people are just saying, like, by the way, our ancestors were here first. And they were doing this first. So, like, we need to just... Right. Come correct. Because (sighs) we need to rewrite the textbook. Absolutely. And it should be us, you know. God, I'm so glad you brought that up. Because I think that, like, these scholars have been so cornerstone for me also in understanding, like, who I am as a person. Just, like, how to even, like, move forward how to also look back and like how to demand respect i think that because i don't know personally i think that my trauma has caused me to not understand how to like demand respect (laughs) on so many levels so just thinking about the ways that they provide hope for us i think is really important who are your favorites great question Obviously, Miss Angela Davis. I'm like a big poetry fan, and I think that like poetry is scholar scholarly work. Personally, I recently have been listening a lot to listening to Joy Harjo a lot, and you know who oh. is. 
I think you would really like her. Um, she's got great work. Obviously, Nikki, you know, Nikki, Miss Nikki Giovanni. Who the Kamahi Reaver Collective. Um, Wangari Mathai is like not really known in the black radical feminist like scene, but she's like an African woman that like does a lot of, uh, she did a lot of environmental justice work around like, and also around like uh, gender um, in Kenya. She, yeah, she's very dope. Oh my gosh, why am I forgetting her name? Lord, I know you know her. Like, I just know you know her. Ooh. Uh, <laughs> Mama's baby, Papa's maybe, I believe. Oh God, yeah. Um, I'm not even gonna try and shame myself right now for like forgetting her name. Like I know who she is. Hortense Billers. Okay, um, that is my bitch. Y'all need to read this piece. If you don't know it, know it. Like I gotta um, read it. Before you come to me, okay, you, I'm just kidding. You gotta read this. I think you would really enjoy it. It's great. What about you? I like God, like Audre Lord. Do Ooh. you know Colin Diane? Did did they have you read her? No. In, um, um, Colin Diane is a historian on like Black history and also the Haitian Revolution. Okay, she's done some pretty amazing things. Mm. Honestly, I gotta shout out Pearl Robinson because okay. she's a professor at Tufts. Yeah, she actually does some really amazing stuff. Like she wrote a piece, like how can Black people mobilize the like the Republican vote? And it wasn't on some like Candace Owens shit. It was like okay. <laughs> that's what where my mind went to. I was like, but it was really like, how can we yeah. make these people? Like pay us what pay pay us what we're owed basically yeah yeah and like make them listen I think that's really cool mm. and she wrote that in the seventies wow okay it was a lot of stuff going on in the seventies there there was I'm surprised she had the time but yeah <laughs> but I think it's so important to go to a country that is majority black whether it's like a bad or a good experience at least you'll have a different yeah. way of being. If you can, like, do it. I, I think it's so key. I feel so privileged, but also, you know, it comes with, like, all these other, like, fucking things and issues. But I definitely feel privileged to be here. I feel privileged because in this space, I can actually, I have access to these scholars, right? I don't think I would have access to these scholars if I was there. But I also don't know if I can say that. If I was, if I was, like, living in a, in a majority black country just because the way that the world is shaped which sucks ass but i also think that there's different ways of getting and understanding new ways of thinking right that are that are not typically western in terms of like writing an article you know there's different ways of like understanding and processing I think I've been, I've been doing a lot of yoga recently, personally, and I think that that's been helping me process, to be honest. Just because I think that I, I use my body a lot. I think that I'm trying to be more in touch with my own body as, like, a Black radical feminist, right? Especially mm -hmm. as an Afro-Indigenous person. That doesn't, like, it doesn't, I wouldn't be able to, like, move in this world if I, like, wasn't in touch with my body, right? So, like, 
where are the, where, you know, where are those types of avenues where we can like not be ascending to whiteness while trying to cope? That's key. Like, I don't know, knowing how to dance, knowing how to love yourself. Yeah. Even like, like sexual, like movement, like all of it is so important to your health and yeah. well-being. And you're not going to learn that in in this world, in America. I mean, definitely not going to learn it in school, you know? And, like, that's another thing that makes me mad, but it is super huge. That's one thing I miss about uh, non-COVID world is, like, being able to go out and go dancing. Like, something like that. I think was really good for me. Uh, even though parties are whack and, yeah, niggas ain't shit, but, like... I like to dance, and there's something about being in a hot sunny room with good music. <laughs> so, <laughs> and just being able to—I don't know—I miss, I miss that toxic energy almost like, for some reason. Yikes! Uh, damn, we're getting real deep. <laughs> like people are gonna call us out, JK, but no. Honestly, like, I think that that chaos is low-key productive. It is. Once you were like, okay, I survived that chaos. Anything is possible. Anything. <laughs> anything is possible, exactly. Every single day is different, but I know that I'll be able to survive this chaos. That, that's pretty powerful, I think. What do you think about the way that knowledge is getting disseminated at the moment in terms of the Black Lives Matter movement, but also, like, um, even just, like, stuff about wellness and like how to understand the world how do you think it's changed with the crisis if at all so i follow and i followed before like the whole covid crisis like lots of black wellness workers and that's mm. how i got most of my information so i think it depends on who you follow but at the same time black creators and black people who were doing this dust was paid you know what i'm saying yeah <laughs> nothing like yeah which is yeah huge I also I also agree I think like if there's so much dysfunction already within the way that like communication is just like disseminated and so I, I'm very grateful for like accounts and stuff like that and YouTube accounts of just like people that are like hey this is what I'm doing this is what's working for me I want to share that you know I'm not participating with with I'm not participating in gatekeeping and like I don't you know I don't I don't fuck with that which is I think really dope which is another way I think of being outraged right instead of I don't know there's different ways of being outraged about things mm -hmm. I definitely I didn't think of wellness <laughs> as a way of being outraged honestly and as as like radical in itself because if you're told you're you have to hate yourself when you love yourself you're completely flipping that script. Yep, exactly. It's like a it's like a 360 flip. I mean, that's that's magic, like to me. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. So stay woke, as usual. Do you watch Atlanta? Hell yeah. Remember that line? What was it like? Everything's a lie, niggas. Stay woke. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I that sounds very familiar. Ah. Uh. That's all I can say. Uh, everything is a lie, nigga. Stay woke. I think that's exactly what I, I love that show. I need to watch every episode again. <laughs> I love that shit. We have to wait so much. We have to wait for another season because of this bullshit. But 
I didn't know they were still making it. I think they are. I hope they are. That shit is so funny. I think Lakeith Stanfield is such, like, an amazing person. I think he's also beautiful. But just the way that he holds himself as a black man, I've never seen anything like that before. And I really, I'm into it. I'm into Lakeith. Me, me too. <laughs> you wouldn't, you wouldn't know it, but I, I'm into Lucky. Uh, <laughs> he gives me gay vibes. I don't know. He gives me verse vibes. I don't know. There we go. Yeah. Anyway. Um, anyway. Speaking of trophies. <laughs> <laughs> um. <laughs> Little black babies. <laughs> you made that transition. The oh, Lord, I don't know where that came from, uh, <laughs> but I liked it. <laughs> um, Do you think black babies should be adopted by white children? I mean, by white parents. <laughs> That's a really good way to phrase it, because white parents are basically white children. Ooh. So, you know, no, what? Um, that's something I do get pretty angry about. <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, it's very alarming to me that that could ever be a thing. Um, I mean, if I had the opportunity, I don't know, I don't know. I don't Did know why you, this just came into my head, but like thinking about <laughs> trophies and just like white men that are particularly attractive, I wouldn't be opposed to like having them for myself just for a day. Okay, right? but they're, they're not all white. Like, would you be having the child too? Yeah, I don't know about that. I don't know about the child part, but I could have, you know, a nice 24-year-old Zac Efron for a day. That would be nice. Just saying. That's not the same thing. <laughs> not the same thing at all. Um, no, I mean, I, I'm assuming that this is the, these are the conversations that white parents are having when they're thinking about how do we how can we adopt and who should we adopt if we need to adopt you know I think that's a whole process um in general that I have really nothing I don't know anything about um like I was thinking about this like if I wanted to adopt a white child and I wanted to teach them how to be white I could tell them (laughs) just turn on Ozark just watch Ozark (laughs) Like everything. <laughs> oh my god! No. <laughs> but like, if I wanted, like, say you're a white parent adopting a black child, like, what would you do? Like, would you teach him to fry plants? And like, what would you do? Right. Like, we do not want a Rachel Dolezal situation. I mean, that was, and that wasn't even a case. The fuck? No, we don't want any of that. Um, I don't know what I would do with a fucking white child. Like, and I, I think that white children are also really scary to me. Like, I'm not like, you know, like you never want to be seen with a black child, with a white child. Like, to be honest, as a person who's like particularly like butch and like mask presenting sometimes, I'm not trying to be seen with a white child. Like, um, Karens are crazy. Like. And I don't want to raise a Karen. Like, I wouldn't even, like... 
And the thing is that I realized is like white girls be knowing how to like white girls like from like age four, mm-hmm. you know. Anyway, that was not where we were going, but I mean, <laughs> what we were talking about, what we wanted to talk about was well, like, why do you need to go to an exotic country to get right. the black children when there's an influx of foster children right here in America who need parents? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I took this like sociology class and it's taught by a white woman at Tufts. And she was talking about, there was like this case study about how white parents are more likely to look elsewhere, right? Exactly what you just said, because they don't, and there's like an influx of black children, black children that need homes, like that are in the system here. And they will literally be willing to go out. I also saw a story on a news outlet recently about this white man that like (laughs) went against the like traveling ban to like go get his adopted white baby from like fucking ukraine or some shit and i I was like like what is this like i need to go get my like prized possession bush like what is that like human trafficking what the fuck like you want that oh my goodness hold on hold this is actually this Loki is like, I don't even know. This she just made me think about this. Apparently, there's a story of about this company Overlook or some bullshit that has been that like sells furniture, but they've been like selling black bodies. Yep, and it's like it's in like a wooden thing, like a cabinet or something, and like the they'll name the cabinet like Antoine. Yes, one. Yeah, like, and I'm trying to find this story right now because I don't want to like or overstock. Like, what is that shit? You don't even want to know. You don't even want to know. But yeah, that just reminded me of that. I don't know if this is real. Please fact check me or whatever. But uh, you know, I think my sister sent me that shit. I think that's ridiculous. Like, I just in the middle of a pandemic, like you're gonna risk your own life and that baby's life. High key to just make sure that you can continue on with your like generational wealth shit like please um yeah just a waste um do you know about the show little fires everywhere no (laughs) i've seen the like i saw the trailer but i was like i don't know if this is for me but what's it about definitely some white drama for sure some white melodrama for sure it's a it's a hulu like short series or whatever and it has what's her name carrie washington right you know the lip quivering speaking of tokens uh (laughs) and also what's her name oh my god reese witherspoon right our favorite ally so these are the people creating the show or whatever. They're also in it. There's this case of, like, essentially this is what happens. Like, a immigrant woman is in the States. She has a job. She's pregnant. She has a baby. She has post-traumatic, like, she has post-traumatic stress disorder, essentially, and is, like, not able to, like, take care of the child and leaves the child somewhere. Spoiler alert this white family gets it and like finds the baby she tries to get the baby back and there's this whole case about whether or not this white family is fit enough to take care of this uh child of color and they like named her a different completely different name that has something to do with her race and like serve fortune cookies at her birthday 
not see, okay. See, that's the shit. Like, if I had, I don't know, like, if you're going to go through the trouble of adopting a black child, why don't you go through the trouble of learning where they're from? Exactly. You better have fried plantains every day for dinner. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Right? And, you know, they will know how to cook it better than you once you teach them because of that, like, generational knowledge shit. So don't even worry about it, all right? Like, you start it up, they'll finish it. That's like, all you need to do. <laughs> you need to do. And <laughs> even that is, like, the bare minimum is asking too much. <clears throat> Anyways. <laughs> so, speaking of creating generational wealth and knowledge. <laughs> right. <laughs> So I think it's time we just talk about how can we, like, how, what is Black excellence and what can, how can we achieve it? Yeah, I think, yeah, whew, that's a big question. That's pretty loaded. Mm-hmm. Um, how do we achieve Black excellence? I like, I don't know if I want to answer this question in a broad way, I mean, or like a very specific way. I think... For me, what I'm trying, for me, what I'm coming to know is that excellence is healing, you know, and just working towards that every single day, mm-hmm. healing and unlearning all the fucking programming. Yeah. That's it. Just trying to do my best to stay present and do those things like dance and do yoga and paint um, and just like, you know, and try and write, you know, just like, whew, and listen to poetry, listen to jazz, just like all those good things, I think, um, are very exciting for me right now. Yeah. I was thinking about, so you know, the creator of Blackish, I'm forgetting his name, but dude is worth like $100 million. And he was talking about, he feels self-conscious going into the board meetings, like as a black person, he feels like he has to perform a certain way. Like he can't go in with his tracksuit and his chain. I don't know if I'm just like seeing from the Netflix like trailer <laughs> of his new show, but I'm like, right. you're worth a hundred million dollars. You better go into that meeting with your dashiki on, like something crazy, like your chain, everything. For me, it's just being complete not ever having to, I don't know, assimilate in any way, shape or form. And just letting, having your money be able to talk for itself. Period. End of the statement. End of the statement. Yeah. Yeah, that was really powerful. I think that's something I want to meditate on. I love that. Do we want to read some of the Combahee River Collective? Yes, we do. What a great way to end this conversation. Um, all right, let me find it online. We can like popcorn through the okay. document. Okay. You wanna do that? And we'll just kind of keep going all the way till we get down. Okay, cool. All right. <laughs> we are a collective of black feminists who have been, who have been meeting together since 1974. During that time, we have been involved in the process of defining and clarifying our politics, while at the same time doing political work within our own group and in coalition with other progressive organizations and movements. The most general statement of our politics at the present time would be that we are actively committed to struggling against 
racial, sexual, heterosexual, and class oppression. And we see as our particular task the development of integrated analysis and practice based upon the fact that the major systems of oppression are interlocking. The synthesis of these oppressions create the conditions of our lives. As black women, we see black feminism as a logical political movement to combat the manifold and simultaneous oppressions that all women of color face. We, <laughs> we will discuss four major topics in the paper that follows. One, the genesis of contemporary black feminism. Two, what we believe, the specific province of our politics. Three, uh, problems in organizing black feminists, including a brief history of our collective. And four, black feminist issues and practice. Thank you for reading that. Uh, um, okay, where should I go? Black feminist presence has evolved most obviously in connection with the second wave of the American women's movement beginning in the late 1960s. Black and other third world working women have been involved in the feminist movement from its start, but both outside reactionary forces and racism and elitism within the movement itself have served to obscure our participation. In 1973, black feminists, particularly located in New York, felt the necessity of forming a separate black feminist group. This became the National Black Feminist Organization. There's also an undeniably a personal genesis for black feminism. That is the personal realization that comes from the seemingly personal experiences of individual black women's lives. Black feminists and many more black women who do not define themselves as feminists have all experienced sexual oppression as a constant factor in our day-to-day existence. As children, we realized that we were different from boys and that we were treated differently. For example, we were told in the same breath to be both quiet for the sake of being ladylike and to make us less objectable in the eyes of white people. As we grew older, we became aware of the threat of physical and sexual abuse by men. However, we had no way of conceptualizing what was so apparent to us, what we knew was really happening. Black feminists often talk about their feelings of craziness before becoming conscious of the concept of sexual politics patriarchal rule, and most importantly, feminism, the political analysis and practice that we women use to struggle against our oppression. The fact that racial politics and indeed racism are pervasive factors in our lives did not allow us, and still does not allow most black women, to look more deeply into our experience and from that sharing and growing consciousness to build a politics that will change our lives and inevitably end our oppression. Our development must also be tied to the contemporary economic and political position of black people. The post-World War II generation of black youth was the first to be able to minimally partake of certain educational and employment options, previously closed completely to black people. Although our economic position is still at the very bottom of the American capitalist economy, a handful of us have been able to gain certain roles as a result of tokenism in education and employment, which potentially enable us to more effectively fight our oppression. Um, Focusing upon our own oppression is embodied in the concept of identity politics. We believe that the most profound and potential, most radical politics comes directly out of our own identity, as opposed to working to end someone else's oppression. In case, in the case of black women, this is a particularly repugnant, dangerous, threatening, and therefore revolutionary concept. 
because it is obvious from looking at all the political movements that have preceded us that anyone is more worthy of liberation than ourselves. We reject pedestals, queenhood, and walking 10 paces behind to be recognized as human, levelly human is enough. We believe that sexual politics under patriarchy is as pervasive in black women's lives as the politics of class and race. We also often find it difficult to separate race from class from sex oppression because in our lives, they are most often experienced simultaneously. We know that there's no such thing as a racial sexual oppression, which is neither solely racial nor solely sexual. For example, the history of the rape of black women by white men as weapon of political repression. Although we were feminists and lesbians, we feel solid solidarity with progressive black men and do not advocate the fractionalization that white women who are separatists demand. Our situation <laughs> as black people necessarily necessitates that we have saw there around the fact that race, which white women, of course, not, do not have with white women, unless it is their negative solidarity as racial oppressors. We struggle together with black men against racism, while we also struggle with black men about sexism. Woo. How are you feeling so far? I feel like this is the whole podcast. This is it. <laughs> I love it. Um, do you want to keep going? We can we can read one more. We can read one more. Yeah. Okay. Let me go down. This is just like them talking about how. Okay. There we go. Um. In the practice of our politics, we do not believe that the end always justifies the means. Many reactionary and destructive acts have been done in the name of achieving correct political goals. As feminists, we do not want to mess over people in the name of politics. We believe in collective process as and a non-hierarchical distribution of power within our group and our, in our vision of a revolutionary society. We are committed to a continual examination of our politics as they develop through criticism and self-criticism as an essential aspect of our practice. In her introduction to sisterhood is powerful, Robin Morgan writes, I haven't the faintest notion what possible revolutionary role white heterosexual men could fulfill since they are the very embodiment of reactionary vested interest power. As black feminists and lesbians, we know that we have a very defining revolutionary task to perform and we are ready for the lifetime of work and struggle before us. Well, <laughs> right in 1977. Yep. <clears throat> in the middle of Aries season, look at that. <laughs> I'm dead. Uh, yeah. Okay. Thank you for joining us. Uh, Thank you. Children of the world. <laughs> Hope you learned something. And yeah, we will see you next time. <laughs>